0: Hi, I'm Monica. And I'm Emma. Welcome to Fanfare, in which cultural luminaries invite their dream guests to dinner. Before we get into the show, can we make a brief detour into my closet? Always. Well, we've talked about this before, Emma, but fashion is like cooking. What? No. Well, yes, it all comes down to the ingredients.
1: Oh.
0: Yeah. When your essentials are solid, you don't have to own a zillion things. Nor should we aspire to, for obvious reasons.
1: You don't need to have both sweet and hot paprika? Is that what you're trying to tell me?
0: I don't think you do. And that's why I'm so excited that our sponsor for Season 3 is Cezanne, a sustainable Parisian brand that nails the essentials. And this at a surprisingly accessible price point, given their commitments to quality and to eco-friendly business practices.
1: Mm, They're a B Corp, aren't they?
0: They are. Visit S-E-Z-A-N-E dot com to see what I mean.
1: We are delving into the fascinating world of French cinema today with our guest, French
0: actress, writer, and director, Anna Girardot. French cinema is, and kind of always has been, its own solar system. I find it's like the American movie industry's artsier, deeper, more bohemian, and often more progressive badass cousin. And once you start exploring it, you can't believe what you've been missing. Anna Girardot is one of said cinema's leading actresses of our generation. I met her several years ago, and it's been a real joy watching her go from strength to strength for the better part of the past decade, transforming from utterly charming and beautiful young leading lady, darling, for example, of beloved French rom-com director Cédric Lapiche, to director, producer, and barrier-breaking actress, taking on some of the most challenging roles out there, like her role earlier this year as Emma Becker in Anissa Bonnefort's indie La Maison a film about a young journalist who takes up work as a full-time prostitute in order to comprehend the realities of the lives of sex workers and write about it, and learns more about herself along the way than she originally bargained for.
1: I'm so looking forward to speaking to Anna and to her imaginary dinner guest, who is none other than Alice Guy, mother of the French cinema. What's that? Never heard of her? We're ashamed to say that neither had we, though she was categorically one of the pioneers of French cinema, as well as the first, and for 17 years, the only female film director. In the late 1890s, Guy was one of the first filmmakers to make a narrative fiction film, as well as the first woman to direct a film. In fact, from 1896 to 1906, she's believed to have been the only female filmmaker in the world. Guy was among the first to experiment with Gaumont's chronophone sync sound system and with color tinting, interracial casting,
0: and special effects. So how is it that until recently, history has all but forgotten about the cinematic legend? Is it all down to basic sexism, or was there something more at play? Luckily, Anne is here to shed some light on this and help us, by way of our imaginary dinner party, to pay tribute to Alice Gee in the manner that she truly deserves.
1: Welcome we can't wait to plan a dinner for Alice Ski with you but first tell us how did you first discover her and were you surprised not to have heard of her before
2: i was actually at was at my agent's and it was on the on the on the shelf of his office i saw this biography of alice Guy that one of his actresses wanted to adapt and this was maybe 7 8, eight years ago and I was who is who's Alice And he told me about her. And then I was super curious because I've never heard about her. And I was already passionate about cinema. I knew everything about the Frères Lumière and Méliès. And so I was surprised not to know about her. And right after that, uh, I guess this actress had a, a vision um, of her time because after that, um a lot of documentaries and podcasts and things uh, appeared uh, about this um, young director that pretty much invented cinema um when cinema was born and a lot of women and feminism feminism um uh, uh, association started talking a lot about her and how she was completely um, erased from history until maybe this documentary who came out in 2021, I think, called Be Natural, and um, who was really, really precise on what happened, what kind of movies she did. She went through her family in Canada, in America, in France, like uh, this puzzle all mixed together. of Where is Alice Guy's um, masterpiece? So she really did a deep, deep, deep uh, work on, on her. And that day, I really uh, you couldn't stop me from being obsessed by uh, that woman and uh, her energy and uh, her work and patriarchy and so many things. But
0: why is it? that up until that, what, 2021 documentary, so many details of her life had gone largely unchecked by historians. I mean, that's until very recently, and she was so significant. Why do you think it is?
2: I think the only really true um, record we have uh, of her is first her autobiography, Mm. but she wrote it in in 54, uh, maybe nine years before she, she died or 10 years before she died, and And she tried to have it published, but the editor didn't help her. And after her death in 76, I think it's two very passionate historians who found this autobiography and edited it and spread out to the world. Like, wow, this woman was doing so much for uh, this art and we haven't talked about her that much. Also, whole or most of her work, of her movies were in France, where her name was erased from the records. So you didn't have much of her, of her work, you know, of her life, lifetime work um, right. spread out to the French public. And it's really in America that they really kept a lot a lot, a lot of, um, of things from her, because in America, she was actually respected and, and known as the most paid woman in cinema, mm. first woman uh, director for 17 years. They were the first to really claim that. So you have so much more things on her in America than in France.
0: But why did the French erase the records? Was it all down to pure sexism? I mean, that if that's the case, it's a real stain on the... I mean, it's a real shame and stain on the history of, of French cinema.
2: It is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's... I'm, I'm guessing there is so many different explanations. It's really, really the beginning of the cinema. The first time she, she go and, and meet with Léon Gaumont, she's her, her secretary. Let's say the Frère Lumière just released their new machine that was actually a camera that also could project in the same box. So it was, it was life-changing. Life Edison was really the inventor of moving images. But really, the frère lumière was super smart on that. What they did is they just filmed those women coming out of the factory or the train coming into the t- train station and Gaumont he bought the Edison machine, so it was a two box machine that you um, it was super hard to use and in the beginning, movies and those machines were not made for for cinema theaters for uh, for people it was made for People from the bourgeoisie who would have this machine in the house and be like, oh, tonight I'm going to show you. Uh, we have this in the house. It's amazing. It's ahead of the time and everything. But he bought the one who's not practical. And so she had the smart idea uh, because she was also passionate about theater and stories. And she said, why don't we make small film for the clients? So at least they don't have to do the, their own movie they just can show movies to their guests you know mm. and Léon was like yeah whatever uh yeah you <laughs> you could do it it's it's a woman thing he said it's a woman <laughs> thing do it so she started with nothing in Léon backyards and she did her first movie called La Fée Chou I don't know the name in English
0: well it's funny actually the name in English there's two potential translations for it it's Babies of the cabbages, or the fairy of the cabbages, because it is babies coming out of cabbages, is it not?
2: It's a uh, French uh, <laughs> folklore. Right. That we say babies are born in... in comment tu dis choux? Cabbage. Cabbage. In cabbages. Cabbages. Oh. In, in cabbages.
1: She made three versions of this film, right? And I believe the yes. third one has my favorite title of all in English. It's Midwife First Class. I love it. <laughs> Because there's this woman prancing in the cabbages and bringing babies out of the plants. Uh, there's
2: more to it than that, but... Of course, there was always more to it, to her movies. It's it's so uh, modern. It's a very feminist statement. She was writing stories for women and no one really cared about it because the only thing was... Just we want movies to, sh- to to put in the machine. So she would make maybe five a week or it was five minutes long, ten minutes long. She did this movie called The
1: Result of Feminism. Yes. And I'm glad you've called it that because the translation in English is often the consequences of feminism. And the word consequences in English has a negative connotation. Whereas in French, conséquence, les conséquences du féminisme just means the results, as you've said. So really, it should be called the results because I don't think she intends it as a negative thing.
0: Well, I love how open-ended that is. It's sort of like, you men might interpret it one way, but we can also interpret it the other way.
2: Yes, exactly. Anna, this was
1: my favorite of the short films that I watched. Tell us about this one.
2: So this movie is amazing. It's a six-minute movie, and it's just little scenes of woman in the skin of a man and a man in the skin of a woman, in terms of caricature of, the way women are treated in society. Yes,
1: a caricature of the of the female
2: role versus the male role. Exactly. So you have this woman at the bar drinking, smoking cigar, <laughs> and the the dads comes with the baby, they're like it's late. And they're like, get the fuck out. Uh All the women who
1: are drinking and smoking get together like, what's this guy doing in here with this baby? And they shove him out. It's amazing. And then this other, all the other men are out in the street pushing the prams and the men encounter each other in the street. And they're like, oh, look how sweet your children are. And even the way the men, and it's interesting because the women are still dressed as women, but in a slightly more masculine way. And then the men are still dressed as men, but they have like flowers and bows on them. And they're walking in this like kind of like sensual kind of fay way, which is it's just interesting. The caricature, as you say, um, of those gender roles and just how aggressively determined the women in the story are to just drink and smoke and be left alone. And the men are doing <laughs> all the work like they're ironing, Love they're it. folding, they're, you know, taking care of the babies. It's actually very sad because it shows you. That's what life was like for women. And so she's, you know, it's a comedy in a way. It's this hilarious, you know, role reversal. But it's I think
2: it's very poignant. Hmm. What do you think? Well, there is this, this scene of this guy is sexually harassed at work by this woman. And he's really trying his best. And she's showing him money. And she just wants to rape him. And I was like, wow, this is so modern. It's 1902. That's what I was just thinking. I cannot believe
0: how early she was in that discussion.
2: And
1: I love, Anna, how you described the fact that, you know, oh, this is a women's thing, this storytelling. So nobody was really checking on the content. Nobody was up in arms because nobody noticed
2: that she was doing this like quietly revolutionary thing. Exactly. This is what I love about. And I think what happened is that after all, so the people who had fairs. the fairy people? No. You mean the people who put on the fairs? the forains. Yes. The, Les forains. <laughs> I love the idea that people who put on fairs might be called fairies. I think that's good. The bad thing is, to me, Alice is a fairy. So mm. if it can... I think she was really linked to those fairs because she has grown for some part of her childhood and she's been traveling along and I'm sure it's part of her DNA, kind of. And I I, I believe she had a really big connection with those people travelling and and working on on um spectacle mm-hmm. and so the frere pathe
1: like pathe the french cinema yeah. giant
2: the original pathe brothers exactly he was a fair organizer ah monsieur ah. pathe oh interesting monsieur Pathé. and actually they were the first to uh, put theaters, kind of wow. like melies was the first to expose his movies in those fairs because it was a, com- a continuation of his tricks and his magical tricks. And so when you see his movies, it, they are, it's really like a musical. It's just like a camera and something happening like you're in a real theater. And and so she connected with them and with the Famille Grenier. And this is how it started to be more um, popular and and raise more money.
1: Right. This is how it became a little bit more lucrative. Yes. Interesting. Okay, well, we so we haven't given that much context yet. I'll just back up a little. Alice was the child of French immigrants in Chile, as Anna has said, but she spent her early childhood with her grandmother near Geneva, until her mother suddenly came and took her away back to Chile on a six week boat voyage, which she writes about in her autobiography as her own baptism by crossing the equator. Then her father who by most accounts was a somewhat tortured soul, and maybe we can get into that later, but he had his, his own problems. And he brought his daughter back to France to a brutal convent school when she was six years old. And her biographer, Janelle Dietrich, says that childhood trauma, especially in the convent, was formative for her artistically, particularly the inspiring sweeping landscapes around that convent. How do you think Anna, her difficult childhood informed her drive and her future career.
2: Well, I think it must not have been such a common childhood and easy one. In my mind, she it was a bit hard for her to connect with her father. So I, I guess it's a very important connection you need to have as you grow older. Also, she lived with a lot of women surrounding her. Mm. Her grandmother to all the pensionnats, the the religious um the nuns at the convent school at the convent yeah. yeah and and so i think this really grew her something in her of disconnection with women also when she came back to france she lost her her father lost his his money and everything and then died uh soon after so when he died she she was staying with her mother and her sister And she, I guess, thought, okay, I have to do something. And we're not going to end up like this. And she started um, learning dactylography. Right. She started learning how
1: to be a stenographer, which at the time was not a woman's job. It was still very much a man's job. So it was already precocious for a woman to decide that she was going to enter into this. It was considered quite a prestigious job, right? Because a secretary was often going to be the heir to a business. And it wasn't until after the war that that became a woman's job and then was forever associated, you know, with femininity and therefore men didn't want it anymore. But, you know, the fact that she learned to do this thing actually really did set her up in an important
0: way. Because she was supposed to be sewing. The women were all sewing. That's what they learned in the convent school, apparently. And then they that's what they did for work. And then they got married and they sewed at home for their husbands and family.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's an
0: interesting comment in one of
1: the podcasts um, that I listened to that I'll link to in the show notes where we think of the wars as being the beginning of the female labor movement, and you know, women didn't work until, but that's not true. It's just that women weren't paid for working; they always worked. And I think you can see in the kind of yeah. scenes of everyday life in Aliski's films that women are constantly laboring. It's just the idea of being paid that's new. So true. Uh, so she gets this job, and okay, and we're gonna get we're gonna get to him. But wasn't there a family friend perhaps called Alexandre Gustave Eiffel?
0: Or Eiffel. Or Eiffel.
1: (laughs) An engineer who is now best known for designing the Eiffel Tower, although he was extremely famous in those days as a civil engineer who designed a lot of important bridges. And then later worked on the Statue of Liberty as well. Wasn't he kind of a family friend who may have been more of a friend?
2: Well, there is no... It's not Eiffel. um, There have been so many uh, different uh, stories uh, about Alice's love life, but... Uh, Eiffel was definitely working with Léon Gaumont in the beginning It was really, really a supportive um, help for Alice. But the man you're referring to um, was uh, industrial, of course, and he was a family, friend and he was older. And I think Alice was always driven by older men with um, experience. Because I think she was passionate and she loved maybe having conversation with those men and and it, they really helped her going through her, her vision, you know. Uh, and I never think it was sexual or older men and Alice was completely something. And maybe the way, the, you know, looking for your dad and all the things we talk about. <laughs>
0: I wanna, I, I wanna just take a step back because I'm really curious about like the fundamentals of how she got herself in there. I think it's so inspiring, just stories of women breaking into somewhere that they're not wanted. So she she gets into cinema through the back door. She was originally hired as Leon Gaumont's secretary. And what happens from there? How does she go from that
2: to winning his trust? I mean, it, 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 to making La Fée I really do believe that she had quite a character, and the thing we were talking about of her being so able to have a relationship with all the men. Mm. i to me, it's really a proof that she was curious and and maybe she she was not too polite and too sweet mm. and and not asking question. She was known to have a franc parler. Mm. Uh,
0: Straight and, talking,
2: and so when she has this idea for to make this camera work, I do believe Gaumont already respect her, ask her question. I think this is the reason she goes with him the day uh, Frère Lumière wants to show them what they just made, and he trusts her enough to bring her with her. I think she was, I, I think she was super smart, and so I, yeah, she was like. A, Alice, what do you think about that, you know? Um, mm. So when she started doing that, she was still obliged to work as a secretary. And during the afternoon, she was doing movies, but she was, imagine, she was doing writing, production, pre-production, montage and editing. And she's starting to have this crew around her. And soon enough, Léon had a wife. She just inherits Big, big... Um, Field, and she said, well, why don't we use this field to start, like, to build a studio? So he he built her a, a, a studio. And then later on, he built a huge studio. <laughs> when you see the two next to each other, it's really like, and it's this is small. But it looks big without comparison. And she started being, like, full-time working there and not being a secretary anymore, even though she was still recorded as a secretary in Gaumont, not an in-house director. I don't even know if you could call that a director. She was just providing movies. And wasn't
1: part of the issue that artists of the day didn't respect photographers as artists, like painters thought were threatened by photography? as a nascent art form and, and didn't consider it to be an art form. You know, you even find this. I remember this, Monica, from our Proust class. Mm-hmm. And, yes. You know, there was a whole thing about this in A La But, you know, the idea that holding a camera and clicking could be considered art was threatening to people who labored to, you know, paint every toenail, et cetera. And therefore, a, you know, by extension, somebody who was using a film camera wasn't really an artist, and so signing your name didn't make sense. Like it was partially, for that reason, that she wasn't so respected, right? Or
2: is that too much of a leap? No, to me, it's it's the truth. It's, you can have that with AI today. Maybe mm. it's I, I guess the effect of a moving image was like, who needs that? You know, who this is not art. You know, she she was really friend with Delay, who was a in house uh, photographer. Who he is, is terrible because he was a good friend of Alice. Uh, he was working at La Maison de la um, Comptoir de la Photographie with Leon and Alice, and he told her everything about um, how to use a film and how to develop it and everything. And even his um, he was a great great photographer and the way he was seeing things and how he was inspired by by things and lights and. And she kept a lot of things from him. But he was against m- uh, moving image. He was against camera and film. And she was he was older than her. And she was the future. He was like, no way. And the terrible thing that happened to him is that that day at this huge um, megastore in Paris called the Bazar de la Charité, one day, the machine started a huge fire that killed a lot of people in Paris at the time. It was terrible, a lot of women and kids, because it was the like Galerie Lafayette of the time, you know? And his wife and his daughter died oh in gosh. this accident, through this camera that he hated. Wow. And It was no progress for him. So it's it's, it's really a touching character in, in her story that is, it, it, it represents so much about the, the way movies were seen. Yes. At the, time. the fear of the future, and it's it, you're right to bring in
1: AI because we do take Chat GPT and leap forward to wars with robots. And so, you know, the idea of this death and destruction caused by new technology—literal death and destruction caused by the technology itself, like the machine—is such a, an interesting manifestation of that fear. Wow. I am kind
0: of irrationally scared of wars with robots, though. I have to be honest.
1: Me too. I don't know how <laughs> irrational. I don't think it's irrational. <laughs>
0: Emma, true or false, one of the best things about parties, including imaginary ones, is playing dress up. True, true. True or false, our current clothing habits are one of the biggest contributors to climate change. Miserably true also. Which brings me back to our season three sponsor, Cezanne. Not only are their clothes so timelessly chic that you'll want to wear them over and over for decades, possibly centuries to come, but they are made well, both from a quality and from an environmental standpoint.
1: Cezanne is a certified B Corp that sources organic textiles, ships in boxes that are either 100% recycled or sourced from sustainably managed forests, powers all of its stores with renewable energy, and has managed to reduce the carbon footprint of one garment by 17.2% over the last
0: year. Plus, the clothes are dreamy for a Tuesday morning or for dinner with your dream guest. Visit Cezanne.com to stop browsing. Okay, okay, I want to talk about one more of um, Alice's films before we start planning this dinner party properly. So um, in 1906, she made The Life of Christ, a big budget production of the time, which included 300 extras, 25 uh, different sets, as well as numerous exterior locations, apparently. So what led her to take this on? Some critics have called it a feminist version of Christ's story. Do you, do you agree with that? And what do you make of this film?
2: I love this film because in the beginning, I was not interested in the, that movie so much because I was like, I don't care about Life of Christ personally. <laughs> you mean you don't watch Passion of the Christ every afternoon? I'm shocked. No. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, a religious movie, why not? Um, but at some point it was the, the only one left. <laughs> and to me, it was like, Whoa. Okay, I want to know everything about that movie. Uh, there is uh, people saying the crisis is played by a woman, but I watched it so many times, and I she's really well mixed up because I to me it's a man, oh. so I don't I'm not really sure. Is it a point? Uh, I would love that Christ was played by a woman, but I, I'm not sure of that. But still, she made up this movie with so many decor. So many um, extras talking about this epopee of a, a historical um, a movie. She told Leon, "We're gonna release it in during Christmas marketing." Wow, très intelligente. And she has this overlapping images on it, and it's and actually at the time the the, the country was super super religious, so it, it 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 was like making the first hits.
0: Yeah. First blockbuster.
2: She thought about it like a blockbuster. Exactly. People
0: loved Christ at the time. You're right. They really... I mean, some still do.
2: Did it go over well?
1: Did it make money? Or was that one of the ones that stopped making money? It did make money. Oh, great.
2: It did make money. But after that, she had, um, again, feminist um, subject and topics. and, And I guess the Gaumont and everybody starting to uh, notice.
1: Uh-huh. As she got bigger, it was harder to fly under the radar with her... Exactly. ...revolutionary ideas. Uh-huh.
2: And so what happened is that he was obsessed with the chronophone. So the chronophone was 20 years before uh, talking movies mm. and sound movies. He wanted to sync music and acting. So they started doing opera, little opérettes with uh, opera singers, and they will sing, synced to the music. So it was quite hard um, things to do, but they they really managed it super well. And she started working on that, and soon enough, he sent her on a trip in Europe to sell that machine, because to him it was the future and everything. So he took her out of the studios and her work to, go and sell that machine. She was very bored, bored, exactly, (laughs) and miserable. And her husband was working for the company and she wanted to know everything, but he was busy and she had to take care of the kids, you know. Oh my gosh, her films, they all came true. They all came true. She became not the result of feminists. And when Leon came for a trip... And ask Herbert, how was everything was going, you know, she she lost from she lost, not her mind, but she stood up for herself, and yeah. she said she gave him a piece of her mind, exactly. And she said, okay, now I want all my um, shared in the, the company, and she started her own company called Solax Production, and she uh, did her own studio. And she was independent and, and then she started to be really recognized as a woman director and she... And her husband, to be fair to him, it doesn't seem like he held her back from that or did he? I don't think so. I think it became difficult for him after a after while because she was called the most paid woman in America or the first woman director and she was taking a lot of, of, of delights and maybe it was hard on him at some point because it's already hard sometimes in, in in today's life. So I guess at the time it must have been almost maybe a humiliation, you know? Uh, it's your woman who works, and and she adapt her uh, movies to American culture. So she would do western or horror movies, or she was like entertaining movies, and she was obsessed with doing more and more. Um, Woman driven movies. Mm, wow.
1: The Netflix category that I get served the most often female, <laughs> women with a female strong female
2: lead.
0: <laughs> it's good. Your algorithm is good. I'm pretty bogged down in the Coco Melon category at the moment. <laughs> ah, it's okay. It's just a
2: phase, Monica. <laughs>
0: So she actually ended up making the most of that little American adventure. And so she probably loves yeah, she'd probably love to do it in New York.
2: Yeah, I think at some point she 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 was she was doing her own thing and 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 it was really working well for her. The only problem she had is at some point her husband wanted also to be a director and as soon as he uh, was working for the company and was also directing and he had power and he loved young actresses and and he was maybe not that um, faithful and uh, he was starting to show. But I don't know. I, I don't want to gossip. I wasn't there. I don't right. know. But right. at the end of it, he left her for a young actress and left for Hollywood who was at the time the new El Dorado and... The East Coast was eaten by, by big, big uh, studio and all the small studio were like, and, and there was this fire and Herbert was not, was spending a lot of money at the company and then he left her and she had the divorce. And so at some point, everybody was like, you know what, Alice, I think the best thing you can do is take your kids and go to France, come back to France. That's what she did. And since that day for 40 years, she would never do any other movies in her life. Wow.
1: And one of the most heart-sinking moments for me in in researching for this episode was when I learned that later, at the very end of her life, she returned to the U.S. because one of her children was living there, and she went looking for the films that she had made in the U.S. Library of Congress. And she was certain that she would find them because she had been, as you say, Anna, a huge figure in the day.
2: And how many of her films did she find? She she never found like she she ended up her life thinking I'm still trying to get my movies back and I I'm I'm not sure I'm never gonna get one in my life. Wow!
0: How is that even possible?
2: That's devastating. You know
0: what? There are some good things about the internet. I'll say that much. Yeah, true. Because yes.
2: they're all on YouTube.
1: <laughs> we will link to them. Not all of them. Certainly not all. But
0: some some good ones to get started with.
2: No, but it's also, also thank God for passionate people who digged into it and did the work, you know, to bring all this work back. And now you have a Alice gear room in Cannes, you have Scorsese saying the first director was a, a woman, people having recognition for her and her work. And, but this is recent. As you say, that
1: documentary came out in 2021. You know, my husband went to film school. He did an MFA in New York and he had never heard of her. I asked him this morning. I did a course on European cinema and I studied a lot of, you know, the early French. Ever- no, nope, no mention of Aliski. Like it's it's only recently um, that she's begun to resurface
2: in our minds. It is. But still, the other day I met this young girl. She's 20. She just came out of uh, his, uh art historical school. Mm-hmm. And she did a whole full uh, half a year on the beginning of cinema, the, the birth of cinema, the birth of those machines, the birth of the first movies made. And I was like, oh my God, you must know so well about Alice Guy, you're just 20. And she said, who's that, who is she? I was like, what? I was like, no,
1: my God. So if she hadn't written her autobiography later in life, and I know she wasn't able to get it published, but she did write it. If she hadn't written that document, would this all be forever lost to history, do you think?
2: For sure, because there is only maybe one or two interviews of her. And there is this making of of her. But if you erase your your, your name and you don't claim your name, then... Wow. Maybe her kids, maybe her... I think it's her daughter who gave the manuscript of the autobiography to the... I'm not sure about that. But it was, it
0: was uh, the child of one of her in-laws also had it translated, I believe.
2: Yeah, something like that, exactly.
0: It was a vague family member who made sure it got translated into English, which helped. But it, no, I mean, it was people, it was her direct sort of family working to have any of this be readily available. Or as you say, it wouldn't have been at all. Bon appetit. So, you, Anna, are gonna bring her back into the spotlight.
2: I hope. Yes, yeah, sit down at the table. What are we <laughs> gonna serve this legend of cinema? What are we gonna serve her? Um, maybe a Chilean Chilean uh-huh. dish, maybe. Oh, that's a good idea. That's I like a good that. Idea, to remind her
0: of her childhood.
1: Because I was looking up kind of the rules of gastronomy in the early 1900s, and it sounds pretty exhaustive and exhausting. Just the, the sheer number of courses that you would have to sit down to eat. There were the hors d'oeuvre, and then there was a potage, like a soup, and then a joint of meat, a relevé. but that wasn't the... There was also a roasted meat course, and it just went on and on. I don't know if Alice had time for all that. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. you say, Anna, she's a busy woman. She's juggling a lot. I think, what about a simple menu inspired by her films.
2: Ooh, I like it. So cabbage?
1: we will definitely need some cabbage. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because of the fairy of the cabbages, already mentioned. And Sausage for The Race for the Sausage, her 1907 short film that I highly recommend watching on
0: YouTube.
2: It's very <laughs> um, funny.
1: <laughs> it's very funny. It's, it, there's um, a dog in front of a cafe who picks up a one, a long string of linked sausages and takes them in his mouth and runs off. And it's this long, long rope of sausages. And then I think the owner of the cafe or bistro notices and starts chasing the dog. And then essentially everybody in the town starts chasing after this person. And it becomes this farce where they get into all kinds of, you know, slapstick trouble chasing this dog with these sausages. Um, And I also just think the race for the sausages as like a female filmmaker with a feminist. um,
2: Look at the signs.
1: (laughs) Bent has a really, has a nice ring to it. So, and plus that will allow us to serve mustard, which will satisfy Monica's um, unending thirst for mustard. (laughs) It's honestly out of control.
2: Yeah, you are out of control with mustard. That's true. I had
0: it with my eggs for breakfast on Sunday. Oh my God.
2: See, and that's just crazy,
1: but I feel like at least should know this about you. Let's just put all our cards on the table. Oh, uh, yeah, no, so. no, no, no,
0: We got to let our freak flag fly.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we could either do a kind of like lip, you know, brasserie lip style of sausage, or I could do like a nice sausage and rapini pasta dish if we want to get... We love oh. brasserie lip. Anna and I have been there
0: together. It's a, it's a classic. Love it.
1: Okay, okay. So, it. so sausage lip style with some nice roasted potatoes maybe uh, and some sautéed cabbage. Choucroute! Choucroute? We can have choucroute, yeah. Ah,
2: oh, we can have choucroute, um,
0: You don't like it? Yeah, or you don't like choucroute? Okay.
2: One day I was invited to a dinner, I said, oh, what do you do? Choucroute, I was like, oh, I want to cancel.
1: <laughs> this is sauerkraut, by the way. So, in the results, not the consequences, of feminism, the women all seem to be sitting around drinking vast quantities of champagne. I think that's what's in those bottles, right? So I do think... Sounds like us. Sounds appropriate. So I think vast quantities of champagne should also be on offer. And then as the pièce de résistance for dessert, I was thinking a millefeuille for the film How Monsieur Takes His Bath in which a man Ah. is attempting to undress for the bath, but he keeps encountering more and more layers of clothing. And he's getting increasingly frustrated because he takes off his suit jacket and then there's another one. And then he takes that off and there's a dress. And he's like, what is this? This is crazy. And I think it must be a joke about how annoying it was day to day to be a woman, right? In like 1906. And I'm about
0: to get to the fashion of the time, but it sounds like a right pain in the arse.
1: (laughs) And And of course, because of the many, many layers of our dinner guest as a person.
2: They're showing a lot of florals right now, so I was thinking florals
0: for spring. Groundbreaking. But you're right; she was a many-layered woman. But then it was a many-layered fashion sitch uh, during the gilded age in France. Well, certainly towards the beginning of her career, anyway. So in the late 1980s and up to early pre-war like 1914-ish, Paris was the center of the fashion universe for Western, well, in the West, at least. Has that changed, Discuss Probably not, but anyway. The prominent silhouette at the time was the S, what they called the S-curve. Oh, that hurts, just to hear. Yeah, 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 think about that. So it's this new corset um, that had just come out that was a must, where it pushed your bosoms forward and your shoulders and posterior. Backs, so you're like this the whole time. What? <laughs> and um, as much as actually, my chiropractor would probably say that I should wear one of these on a regular basis because I'm always listen opposite, to him. Um, it sounds deeply uncomfortable, and I don't reckon that Alice would have had much time for that either. Because and, and there's also that it was like this full skirt around said posterior, which was then tapered at the knee and flared out like a petal of a flower. After so very dainty. But luckily by around 1910, the silhouette became leaner and the skirts were narrower and fashion designers cast away that constricting corset and those voluminous petticoats and it was sort of replaced by crepe de chine slips, which sounds a lot more movable, a lot more like our style. And I think I would probably go for that vibe, like kind of silky layers.
1: I think silky layers sounds good. Did it loosen up in 1910 because Paris was underwater for two days and it's hard to swim in an S corset? That's a very interesting mm. theory. I don't know. I don't know because the floods, the sand flooded in 1910, and it, it was did. all very dramatic. You're absolutely
0: right.
2: It's Mother Nature helping women. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Could be the
0: influence of Alice Guy subconsciously.
2: Well, you know, she kept her long skirts in America, uh, even though the um, the fashion there was to have shorter skirts. So mm. maybe above the the ankle or the. So, but she kept her style and she always had those uh, big coats and, 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 and belt and she like blues a blouse kind of big blouse always around her they gave her like this shape very um, strong and, and grounded you know oh mm. i
0: see authoritative dressing there is something to be said for that but i don't imagine she had a corset on underneath did she No, maybe that's why she was a hidden this. It's quite physical, Anna, isn't it? Directing a film, it feels very sort of,
2: you've got to be able to move. But maybe at some point she was like, oh, come on, come on, on. you don't know. Let me show you. She was undressing herself. But when you see pictures of her, she's still so, so elegant and put together. And Mm -hmm. she looked, especially at the end of her career, she looked very... Grounded and, and calm and, and strong and...
0: Dignified. Yes. Okay, so last question for you, Anna. Once we've all arrived at our dinner and we've dug into our choucroute and champagne.
2: <laughs> so hot for chucroutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we have a cold one? Yeah,
1: we can, have a, yeah we, we can have a chopped salad, a cabbage salad maybe.
0: I like that. We'll let you lead the conversation, you know, because you are... The most knowledgeable on Alice, and I was wondering if there were one question—if there was just one question you could get in there and ask her, what would it be? Oh,
2: I have so many questions. It's that, um, a hard. One. You can, there could be a I'd few. Be in if the you fan want. zone, I'd be like, "Oh my god, I have so many things I want to ask you." But maybe, maybe, um, how hard was it to convince people to follow you? Maybe would, that would be the first question of many, but. Mm. At that time, being, even today, bringing people together to make movies uh, is a, a small miracle, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think that's great. Thank you. I'm sure she would
0: be very happy to be living on in some way through you.
2: Well, I, I'm sure she'd be happy to be at the dinner with you guys too. Thanks.
0: If you hadn't passed
2: the torch
1: to us, we wouldn't have known. I'm so grateful to have done this Aliski.
2: Uh, no man, uh, I don't research. Uh, cause she's... And,
0: and, and Emma, when when Anna and I first conceived of this idea for this episode, I'm afraid I looked at her completely blankly. We were out for drinks with friends. Did any of
2: our friends know who she was? I
0: don't think they did. Maybe not. And they're French. The girls we were with.
2: Yeah, now from time to time to people of um, producers and people working in the cinema industry and and women sometimes I'm like, yeah, uh, Alice Guy. And they're like, who? And then I say, yeah, you know, this first woman director that was there at the the beginning of cinema. And they're like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about a woman. They don't know. They don't know. But yeah, definitely, if you're
1: listening and you're a woman, sign your name. Write your autobiography and tell yes. other people about Ali Ski. True. Amen. Amen.
0: And the other thing you should do, dear listener, is rate, review, and subscribe. Oh, and email us if you have any ideas or questions. fanfarefanmail at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you to our producers, Matt Bentley Viney and Joel Grove. Bye. Au revoir.
1: That's all.